You are listening to Boku no Stop, an anime podcast that can't have life-ruining revelations at the sight of a picture book if it can't read. I'm your host, Sybil Arnett, and with me is... Chris. And Matt. And today we are still talking about Monster, episodes 34 through 37. 37? What? Matt. I swear to (laughs) fucking God. If you skipped this last one... (laughs) No, 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 no. I was, I was, I was quoting clerks. Got. Oh, all right. Gotcha. I was very afraid you missed the very large moment we left off on. Oh, no. I watched all the episodes. Don't worry. Okay. Phew. (laughs) Ah. Last time, doctors Reichvine and Gillen teamed up to try and help Dr. Kenzo Tenma clear his name. But it dawned on them all too late, Tenma is no longer interested in proving his innocence, leaving Dieter with the pair and hiding elsewhere in the city of Munich, acquiring a sniper rifle, and planning out on how to get the jump on Johan at an upcoming library dedication involving Herr Schuwald. Speaking of the library, Johan sees a picture book, screams, and passes out, and that's where we left off before, episode 34, At the Edge of Darkness. Classic liberal seeing a Dr. Seuss book shit. So, when we pick up, Lottie has decided to go visit Johan in the hospital, but like so many people who open his door, he has already up and left the place. On her way out, she bumps into the librarian who was beside him when he had the screaming spell also coming to visit. Because she's tripping every death flag imaginable, Lottie proceeds to pump the woman for information about what happened. And then we go to the intro. We come back from the intro to Carl making tea for Johan. He mentions a letter has arrived and Johan opens it and then just begins fucking cackling like a madman. It's a very good. (laughs) What's so funny, (laughs) Johan? Come on, share the joke. He says he just received a letter from the Red Hindenburg, which is an extremely good self-deprecating joke, as we find out later. Yes, it is. Johan goes to the red light district alone, and it turns out said Red Hindenburg is Margot Langer, the fake who is extorting Schuwald. And this is just a joke about how she's obese and wearing a red dress. Uh, she did she pick tells, it herself. It's mm-hmm. I know, that's why it's so funny. It would be so rude if someone else did it. Yeah, yeah. But she also mentioned that she, she's gone by many names, the other one being Blue Sophie, which I don't know if that's also a self-deprecating joke or not, but it's funny. She tells Johan not to try anything funny. Her new boyfriend is A, packing, and B, packing. Uh, Mm -hmm. He knocks from the room behind when prompted. Slowly, she lays out that she did some digging of her own, found out that Johan has been involved in this for ages and that people, like a detective, are dying. And finally, she gets to the point. How much are you going to pay me to keep quiet? And then, for the first time in this scene, Johan speaks, and all he says is a mumbled... I thought I had seen the darkest depths, but then there was something new, darker before me, and he looks up crazy-eyed. As he stands up and makes to leave, she draws a gun and calls for her boyfriend. The door opens, and a man walks out, takes two steps, and puts a gun to her head. And we find out that this is Roberto. And this is when I make the meme (laughs) of the two white guys yelling and pointing, but do it in real life. Uh, <laughs> I think we kind of like hinted in previous recordings that oh yeah by the way that's Roberto uh, or like he, he's involved with Margot Langer so uh, it wasn't a surprise to me but I was expecting this but it was still awesome hmm. he just shows up every time he shows up I'm there for it because it's so fuck the reveal is always so fucking dramatic always oh. there for it oh yes oh yes yup so in a last little bit of cruelty as Johan is walking out of the dingiest part of the red light district, he hands 500 marks to a jonesing sex worker that he, you know, that had asked him for drug money on the way in and tells her, here you go. Get all the drugs. Your pretty little veins can take. Yeah. Uh, she's the th- only person who looked at his face, which is why. This is basically a here, go overdose. <laughs> <laughs> yep. The, there was a, uh, there was also, uh, we didn't mention it. There was a woman who was just holding, a bunch of balloons is kind of like semi comatose and on his way out, Johan asks for a balloon, which is funny. But the funny thing about this though, to me is, you know, the balloons don't move at all 
And that's very distracting to me, especially because there's just no way a balloon does not move a little bit. So the lack of animation on it just made it stand out and look real weird. I was expecting that he was going to pop it to cover for the sound of a gunshot, but it just doesn't come. Well, the the gunshot happens, but it happens uh, a little later when he's already given the money to the uh, the other hooker or sorry, the other sex worker. That's what I'm saying. I expected him to use that as some kind of thing where, oh, yeah, when Roberto mm-hmm. sees him pass the window. But no, it just it just has a balloon for the rest of the scene. He's going to give it to some kid. He's going to push off a roof. It's fine. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh, so we cut to an upstairs back alley medical clinic. Among the people in the crowded room is Tenma, who is uh, totally not carrying around a giant sniper rifle in a blanket, which... <laughs> Uh, a guy next to him asks him about it, and it's like, oh, it's, it's, no, it's nothing. Don't worry about it. Walking stick. Big, big cis mag vibes. Don't worry about it. Christian will know what I'm talking about. Okay. He shoves past the crowd and interrupts the uh, doctor, who happens to be a very young woman who's uh, stitching up a man's stab wound. And Tenma immediately... Uh, well, it says here shit talking. I think he's just <laughs> trying to give stern advice. He said, put a drainage tube in. Uh, and he eventually badges her to doing so. You know, it's like, hey, hey, you know, take out two stitches, put it in about five centimeters, because if he got stabbed with a dirty knife, it's gonna, there's gonna be an abscess and it's gonna be full of bus and it's gonna be gross. You know, you can tell Sybil used to do DB, database administrator work because someone giving you advice counts as shit talking. When you're a DBA, no one knows better than you when you're the DBA. How dare they speak? <laughs> you know what? You're not wrong. <laughs> They're all like that. Yes, I know. I'm a stereotype on a lot of levels. <laughs> but uh, as soon as she's done doing this little extra work with his help, she immediately passes out and collapses. When she wakes up, Tenma has caught on to what's going on from some of the patients he was treating. Turns out she had been doing this for around 48 hours straight. Her journey is a dark mirror of Tenma's own path. This 17-year-old girl has been doogie housering the local Asian district because her father, the actual doctor, used to run the clinic. And when they what came... are you, 80? Doogie hauser. <laughs> See... Turns out some neo-Nazi elements decided the old Vietnamese doctor who came to Germany was an easy target. But since she had assisted him in his work sometime, she could read his books. So when her foster parents that she was placed with turned out to basically just see her as uplifting one of them foreigners who didn't do anything and came here in a bad situation, she just rolled back to the clinic and picked up his work for the community. And in the middle of this story, a gutshot sex worker comes in with her kid, and the young doctor is very ready to give up, because this is way... What's up? There's more to the Vietnam thing. They specifically went to the communist side of Germany, because this takes place only, like, five years after Vietnam abandoned communism, so they're basically, like, fleeing. I might have missed that making note, so good catch. Yeah, they're specifically, it's communists fleeing to the communist side of Germany, and they only have the problems when the wall falls, and, like, communism is basically abolished in Germany. Mm-hmm. Well, any any form of leftism in name, even though not in fact. Gotcha. So, this whole story is interrupted because a kid and a gutshot sex worker comes in in the middle of it, And the young doctor is very ready to give up because this is way out of her league. Tenma, on the other hand, is more stubborn than God when it comes to saving a case in the worst place possible, especially if it means that a scalpel is involved. The two get the woman onto the table, and he guides the little teen through the procedure. The sex worker probably lives. She is not seen again until the episode ends where Tenma urges the girl to keep studying and be a light in a community that might drown in darkness. Her response is simply, Hey, uh, so guy wandering around with probably a gun and looking in head of incredibly haggard? 
You you're not in need of some light, Tenmakun. You gonna you gonna come back? And he just looks back, says nothing, and walks into the sunset. Yeah, this is like the what second third time a doctor or doctor like person was like, hey, you could stay here and save a bunch of lives. Wouldn't that be cool? And he's like, nah. Yep. <laughs> but okay. this time he's being way more of a dick about it than he was just walking on from the remote village. Because he could absolutely help out here and take a week to, you know, shoot a Johan. Well, you know, I guess he doesn't really know how bad uh, <laughs> this little stretch is going to be. But if he if he knew, I'm sure that would have added a little bit more. Uh, <clears throat> well, let's say light a fire under him a little bit more. <laughs> yeah. The phrase. But that takes us to episode 35, My Nameless Hero. So I just want to ask before we start. Did you two only use subtitles on this, or did you put on the dub? Yes, I only but you use can subtitles. hear it. Okay. So you, you, catch, you catch the play going on with honorifics there, if you're listening. All right. Just curious. Uh, the, the fan subs remove a lot of Lunge trying to put on a lot of Japanese honorifics, and he's like, domo, domo. It's just a lot of things that I didn't know how it would stand out for you two. All right. Yeah, I, I could tell from context that he was trying to imitate or you know trying to learn some of the uh some of the cultural you know habits or you know that mannerisms and it yeah it does read a little weird because he's supposed to be saying japanese at you know instead of he's, german even though it's he's doing all a good in job japanese audio like yeah for for my job specifically, we have a little bit of like light training on like dealing with Japanese businessmen specifically, and like here's how to not offend them so they buy our shit. Mm -hmm. uh, and he's doing he's doing a good job of it. Yeah, the only thing that I noticed that he didn't catch up on is uh, receiving the business card with two hands. I did well, note that, and just he does the first out a little. The, the only person he mildly disrespects is the person he actually came to see, Yamamoto. I. I'd have to look at it again. I was looking out for it. I thought he just grabs it with one hand each time. Like, it happens three times, or two or three times. There's I two believe times you handed, I believe. But either uh, way. The hotel lobby is not. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I forgot about yeah. the hotel lobby. But he definitely also does not do a lot of, like, the the verbal song and dance for Yamamoto either. No, gotcha. no. At that, well, he's he's also in a, he's, well, <laughs> he's, this is an he's episode doing something for on purpose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I can't. So, I cannot believe what happens with him in this episode. Oh, well, dude. why don't you start in the hotel lobby? We open in a hotel lobby. The Japanese businessmen are bowing and exchanging goodbyes. We pan over to see a hand typing. It's a lunge, and he's being a huge asshole. Uh, they say "domo" so much, the word has no meaning anymore. Uh, he's here to interview a higher up in the business, but the man is out of town due to a quote crisis in the Czech Republic. I did finger quotes on that, even though it definitely is a crisis at this point. Um, however, the reason he was asking is because the man and his replacement today both knew Tenma when they were overseas. The conversation turns to surprise as the businessman doesn't know why they consider him a suspect saying he wasn't a bad guy at all. Um, Lungay tries to do a bunch of like rhetorical trap shit to him, saying, so he was a good guy? Well, I don't know about that. He was very subdued, didn't stand out. And uh, does that make one good? And like the guy kind of trails off. Culturally, you know the answer is yes. In a hotel in his hotel room, Lungay is trying to get into Tenma's head. He's practicing chopsticks, mannerism, trying to dress like Tenma around his hotel room. Uh, when his phone rings and it's his daughter. His daughter calls and it says, uh, Turns out after he uh, destroyed his family and the <laughs> family split up, she moved to Munich and heard he was in town. And she offers him an invite to see his newly born granddaughter uh, saying, I know we parted on rough terms, but I want you in her life. He agrees to meet up the next day saying, but it has to be after 6 p.m. Uh, I think they say it's exactly at six. They're going to meet at a specific restaurant. Well, he just says that. Uh, I'll gladly meet you tomorrow, but I'm busy until six. Gotcha. Uh, so he's in another interview. Tenma's family didn't seem to be too close to him, according to a former colleague. And he never returned to Japan after arriving in Germany. And his parents never issued any statement or spoke out about their son's innocence when 
the scandal broke out. So it, more or less, he's been, if not cut off or disowned, you know, he's just kind of left on his own. Yeah. And this becomes important later. So once again, Lunge waits on businessman Yamamoto. The man is back in town, but he had to rush to a client meeting as soon as he got into town. So he can't meet Lunge for the interview. But according to the second command, he will be meeting them all for drinks that evening at a bar. If Lunge tags along, he'll be able to meet him. However, as we know, this puts Lunge in conflict with his meeting with his daughter. And he checks his watch. It's 10 minutes till six. He immediately refuses, but then he pulls some fucking real psychopath shit and says, oh, Tenma, he's not really close with his family. His relationship with his family is strained. And then mutters to himself, I and Tenma puts on a big grin and said he'd be glad to join him. And this is where I said literally out loud, this motherfucker. (laughs) Unbelievable. Yes. This is like... This is some fucking Christian Bale ass fucking method acting bullshit. It's so wild because everything up to this point in this episode and some of the last few windows we've had on Lunge are like, he's pulling back a bit and maybe going to be open to something after talking with Gillen, after Tenma saves him, after all that. And then this is him just... Hitting the accelerator and going, ah, I see the wall. I'm stronger. (laughs) (laughs) It's fucking incredible. I could not fucking believe. I mean, look. Our man is spiraling. Yeah. Whenever whenever someone in this show has a phone call with a family member and says, I will meet you tomorrow, it never works out. So I expected this. This this is an anime, you say. Uh, so like, but like, I did not expect it to be like this. Yeah, we cut directly to the daughter and granddaughter alone in a cafe, just waiting, and we linger for a second. Weirdly, mm. the subs say it's a grandson. I believe. Weird thing. It doesn't matter because babies look the same. That's that's exactly it. I saw the translations different on it, but I don't think we ever really get anything out of it. So I went with what I was taking notes as. Mm-hmm. Just no, I just commenting weird thing for the translation to be different on weird flex. Well, if you don't have a gendered pronoun in the actual speech, you know. Anyhow, I don't speak enough Japanese to know who fucked up. So Lunge sits alone as everyone performs karaoke at this bar and just slowly his dark inner monologue overtakes the singing. This is a note to me. Please cut in the music from this scene, the blatant ripoff of the Merry Christmas Mr. Lawrence score. And so Lungay's just sitting here. I don't fit in. I have no family to go home to. I am Tenpa. I am alone. And the... I am socially distant. <laughs> yes. And then Yamamoto comes in. His trip to the Czech Republic was seeking a picture book. Turns out they've heard the way you get on Shuvald's good side since he reemerged is to make this little blonde twink at his side happy, and they got word that he had a connection to this somehow. So Lunge asks if he can see it, he memorizes some passages doing his little hand typey thing. Later, we will see him at his desk translating with a dictionary. The one he does that... get owned by like a random detective is like, wow, I can't believe you're doing something not for work. <laughs> At I, I work. Would, no wow, less. that guy has hobbies. Yeah. And it's like, huh, a picture book, huh? <laughs> That's rare. Never, never thought I'd see the day. And you could tell that none of them know he has a family and a new granddaughter in town because otherwise, you know, they might have gone. Oh, that's cute. So. Lungay's, you know, at his desk translating what he memorized with a Czech dictionary. And the one line we get out of it is that he translates, Look at me, look at me, look how big the monster inside me has grown. From there, we cut to the two psychiatrists. Gillen is talking to criminals trying to 
figure out what Johann's next move is. And Reichwein is trying to independently, well, he independently came to the same conclusion that the next people that are at risk are the Lieberts, his Johann's uh, fake adopted parents or well, fake real parents technically adopted. I don't whatever. They are adopted parents, but he adopted them. Yep. Yes. Yes. The older doctor is trying to save the couple, laying out Detective Braun's death, Johan's history, how he knows how the boy just showed up, cash in hand, and set them up in this really nice house. Like he he goes directly to them and says, By the way, here's all the information. You should get the fuck out of here. And but- they recognize uh Brown's photo. This is the couple that reminder, he came to them like, Oh yeah, I'm an insurance adjuster. And so when he says, yeah, no, this guy was a PI who was investigating your kid and he's suddenly dead. They immediately clam up. Yeah. And it's a really good scene afterwards where Reichwein leaves by himself and you see the couple in their garden just talking about, you know, the what is it? The orange next year's apple apple harvest. Yeah. Yeah. Next year's apple harvest. And it's just fucking crushing. Like, it's so well done. Meanwhile, Gillen's interview has given them no ideas on what comes next, but he describes Johan's behavior as being like a child. You know, when you mess with the ants by putting your finger down on top of them, sadistic power. He's become what I wanted to be, a monster. Says uh, the criminal, by the way, not Gillen. Yeah. Look, Gillen got weird eyes. He could be. Uh, my man looks so tired all the time. Same. Uh, <laughs> Gillen talks Reichwein out of despair when he realizes that they haven't made any progress. They can't get near Johan or save his victims, and they can't find Tema to stop them from doing anything desperate. And the little monster is still 10 steps ahead of them. They feel extremely defeated. Uh, Reichwein leaves frustrated, saying he'll just try the direct route, forcing himself into Schuwald himself, trying to do something unexpected, which the subtitles describe as hand to hand combat. It's like yeah. close combat. Very good. Yeah, that's what he said. Yeah. The the fan subs in this chunk are very bad. I don't know what happened. You can tell that this is old because uh Reichwein calls himself a cop and is proud of it. Uh it's closing time at the library. Tomorrow, the building will be closed and locked down for the ceremony. Tonight, two things occur. First, Lottie picks up a Czech dictionary and begins trying to translate the picture book that spooked Johan. And second, Kenzo Tenma sneaks inside the library, dodges the staff, and conceals himself atop a bookshelf, sniper rifle in hand, and waits for tomorrow. And this suddenly made it seem much more practical than how they played it the first time, where he's just standing at the balcony holding a scope like he's just going to stand up there and shoot the guy from extremely visible. Yeah, no, he's he's been planning this for about a week minimum just it's i wish that they had cut the entire forest bit out even though i liked it because the reasoning for him not popping him in the forest is extremely dumb i get which is one guy asked you not to please again i i feel the same way there's a reason that we just skipped over that whole half that episode because it comes to nothing but yeah it in manga form it works better probably but here it just it's one of the few cases where like monster like stretches out the plot artificially is how it feels uh because of that if they just had not brought it up that would have been fine Mm -hmm. um that takes us into episode 36 the monster of chaos which someone else will talk about in the dark, Tenma clutches his rifle and flashes back, and we first see the fateful decision to save young Johan, and second, we see him as a child, so good at hide-and-seek, he was never found, everyone's going, ah, scaredy-cat Tenma, and he just gets left alone in the woods when everyone else is called home. So the last thing we hear before the title kicks in is a child's voice screaming, Come find me! Someone, come find me! And when the show kicks back in, we get a very stark visual. It's Reichwein, silhouetted against a manor gate in car headlights, staring a vehicle down solo. 
Uh, I'm going to find the manga panel of this, cross it with this bit, and that's probably going to be the episode art. Shuvald is in the back seat of the SUV, and he just says, Ah, uh, my eyes are not good. Carl, what do you see? Carl's judgment is thus. He does not seem to be a bad man, but when I look into his eyes, I see a desperate man staring me down. And that is enough for Shuvald, who sits down across from Reichvine for a brief chat in the manor. Shuvald says, The night is late. My time is short. No pleasantries. Just cut to the chase. And Reichwein replies, the conversation relies on Shuvald, and the old man simply says, ah, so you've come about the boy. Apparently, Shuvald expected this, and he said, uh, perhaps you could tell me why he seems so perfect. Too much so. People who can see may not know it, but I can feel it. And Reichwein lays it out. Look, this dude has isolated you, gotten close to you, and manipulated everything around you. Help us wipe him out now. And like he, you know, ends up like reading him the story. Because I, at this point, I was like, does he know that he's blind? He's going to hand him this stack of paper <laughs> uh, and uh, and then be like, I can't read this. He's like, no, he, he knew ahead of time. So um, Truvold just says that, uh, in a way, Johan is everything he aspired to be as a young man. Uh, he talks about his nickname as the Vampire of Bayern and how he reveled in it in his past uh, and tried to become an even bigger tyrant to live up to the name. Uh, and, the fan uh, subs fuck up immensely in this part because every other translation recognizes a bit in this as from the revelation of St. John, but they muck up. And they adored the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast, and who shall be able to fight with him? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's he, good. he makes Yeah. I interesting. Like I know like he made it Shuvald made the point of saying, like, you know, I have this very intimidating name, but I'm very frail now, and it just doesn't fit. But anyway, the morning comes and Reichwein leaves again disheartened. Carl comes in asking what all that was about. Uh and that is, you know, realizing, oh, well, you stayed in here up all night and uh, that, oh, you look tired. Should we call off uh, your appearance for the uh, library dedication? Despite this, Shuvald says, no, they should prepare to head out. Temo wakes from a dream flashing back again, this time to Nina's urging him on the riverbank to live on and help people. He slowly starts until he sees people are filing in for the ceremony. Quietly, he takes position and waits. Across town, Nina resigns from her job at the cafe. Well, it's not a cafe, it's a restaurant, but whatever. Nina resigns from her job at the restaurant and leaves a message for Lottie saying she's leaving town at 3 p.m. on a specific train. Chuvald arrives for the ceremony, crowds whispering the whole time. He hasn't been seen in so long. All sorts of VIPs and business legends are here just to see him. Halfway down the aisle, he turns to his son, Carl, pushing the wheelchair and says, I've forgotten a document at the manor in my study. Uh, in a huge flex, humiliating Carl, he just says, just leave, go get those. Johan will be here soon. Leave everything to him. Dismayed, Carl does. This does come off as like a huge weird flex uh, because we don't really get any indication of how Shuvald took all of the news about Johan. In retrospect, it's clearly him trying to protect Carl, but it doesn't yes. read that way at first. Yeah, that... it, it's very brutal to the boy. Yeah, it's like a huge own. It's he's just literally white fanging his kid. Yeah, see, I read this. Well, I I realized that oh, he's got to know something. He's trying to protect Carl. But yeah, like it definitely feels bad that he's like, oh yeah, I'm here for this dedication to me. Uh, well, why don't you uh, like do do this? Like he says, like what document is it? He said it doesn't matter what document. It's on my desk. Just go get it. In in the top drawer specifically. So. At the police station, a livid Gillen is tearing into Lunge in a hallway. I told you Tenma was in Munich hunting Johan, and you haven't done a damn thing. If you keep this up, Tenma's going to try and just end this himself. And Lunge is like, you know, he uh, Gillen throws out that, you, you don't even believe me. I say we've got proof Johan is real, and... Lunge vanishes into a restricted area, but the last thing he says is, oh yes, I know Johan is real. And then like he walks two steps, 
really living rent-free inside Tenma's head. Pfft, dipshit. And this is the second time I ate this motherfucker, this guy. <laughs> Jesus Christ. The department is interrogating the mafia guy who sold Tenma the rifle. They're like, yeah, all he says is he sold a rifle to an Asian guy. And Lunge goes, yeah, he probably doesn't know anything more than that, but it's good to know. And then to the, like, I don't know what the face is that this coworker is making. It's pretty uh -huh. good. But there's a guy watching the interview from the observation room. And then Lunge just starts doing this weird mime song and dance. I am Tenma. No, I am Johan. I am Chaos Incarnate. I have just acquired a high-powered sniper rifle. Who will I kill? And his coworker is just like, Oh god, he's doing this shit again and trying to look away. But we cut away with the sound of a gunshot as he realizes. Elsewhere, Reichwein is alone in his kitchen. And Dieter finally returns to the land of the speaking cast by shoving a tray of food in front of him and going, You have to eat something. He, you know, cheers up a bit, tries to raise the boy's spirits. Oh, I'm not done yet. I used to be a medic for the cops, blah, blah, blah. You know, I'm more hesitant than this. Or, I'm more sturdy than this. But then he jolts out of his seat looking at the newspaper. Is he a medic? Because the uh, subs definitely describe him as being in the border patrol and just an actual cop cop. He was a combat medic. They've okay. mentioned it a few times. He was a doctor. That's what pushed him into this profession. But he did work with. And I think, yeah, it is the border patrol from when East and West were divided. Yeah. But he, he would have still been a cop. And I believe that's what it's translated as in a few things. You have to understand we live in the worst country on Earth. So being in the border patrol means something very different. Oh, yes, yes. a Border Patrol medic means knowing exactly how little water to give someone to keep them alive here. Uh-huh. The human body only needs X amount of blood, so we can we can torture them for X amount of time. That's a Border Patrol medic to me. Yeah, it's very weird how different that little bit of cultural context can make this when it was instead just, like, trying to keep people from jumping the Berlin Wall. So, he's he's seen the news, and... He's just booking it out the door. But Dieter realizes, oh, he knows where Tenma is. I'm going with him. And the whole way he's just shouting, no, D Dieter, bad. No, bad Dieter. No, you know where Tenma is. Can't hear you. Blah, 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 blah. At the book depository, Schuvald takes the stage. From the side, we see Johan clapping. Tenma takes aim with the rifle, his finger hesitant on the trigger, Johan in the scope. I gave life to this monster, and now... We close at the train station instead of on that. Nina is about to leave town when a ragged Lottie runs in, screaming for her to wait. She's panting as she hands Nina a book and tries to explain. You're twins! What's this mean? He was looking when he collapsed... And Nita opens it and just has this horrible realization as she opens it. Her eyes go wide. And we end on the flashback to her younger self stalking through the hospital muttering, Kill. So here's something that the subs did different. It didn't say you're twins. It says, tell me you're not twins. Which is... Either way, this is Lottie explicitly saying, Hey, Twin, I know you have a twin. Mm -hmm. Or I suspect you have a twin, at least. Because that's what comes up next time. Yeah. So something that, like, is a bit of a, you know, bummer for me in this episode and the next one is, like, the way they use the scope. Because they keep flip-flopping between the scope being, for one thing, extremely clear. And sometimes they have like a lens effect on it, which makes it, you know, like look slightly blurry, which I, I think is more effective. And then sometimes it sways and sometimes it's extremely still like like it's just the normal camera. Oh, see, I took I took the blur to be Tenma having the panic attack. Uh, so because you see it when he's got the pistol later, too. 
Oh, uh, you're probably right. Yeah, you're probably it didn't read that way to me. Like re- I thought it was like mixing it, it was like an animation error or something or like a direction thing where they just didn't have like the visual effect of what a scope, you know, cuz a scope is distorts a little round yeah, fish-eyed. Yeah. That takes us into episode 37, A Nameless Monster. The cold open is just a reminder of all the wild cliffhangers, but when we're through with that, we open with Nina narrating a picture book. Uh, so glad I don't have to ever watch the credits and haven't watched the credits. Ben, I got rewarded. Uh, once upon a time, it starts once upon a time in a land far away, there was a monster without a name. The next few minutes are a really like beautifully animated one sequence. Um, it's really great. And it details the full story of what we've seen, the sepia tone still framed ending sequence as it changes over time. And it winds up being a Czech children's book called The Monster with No Name. A monster longs for identity and goes on a journey for it, splitting itself in two so that it can cover the world at a faster rate. One monster goes west and the other east. The eastern one finds a village where it offers the blacksmith a proposition. Let me have your name and I will crawl inside you and make you so strong. And so the monster becomes Otto the blacksmith. Otto the blacksmith becomes the strongest man around, hurling trees and showing off for the village. Huge flex, but literally. But soon, the monster has grown large and hungry and it devours Otto from the inside. Gobble, gobble, chomp, chomp, munch, munch. It repeats over and over, consuming the village name by name until it finds a nearby castle and makes a pledge to a sick prince inside. Let me have your name, and I will crawl inside you, making you strong. The boy accepts, and the king is pleased. My son is strong, the prince is healthy. The boy monster holds firm, controlling its hunger as long as it can, because it likes this new life. It likes being a king, it likes the name, and it likes how everyone loves him for being Johan. And he's happy. But eventually, the hunger is too much. The boy devours the king, the court, and every servant. Finally, it leaves again because it's the only person there and there's no one there to call it by its new name. And it eventually comes and it meets its western counterpart who decided it was happy without a name. Out of spite, or perhaps just hunger, the boy monster devours the western monster. And it ends with... The monster was sad, for now it had a name, but nobody remained to call it by that name. And Johan is such a beautiful name. Nine minutes in, we see the episode's title card drop as Nina closes the book in horror. Mm -hmm. What do y'all think of this sequence? Because holy shit. Yeah, no, it was awesome. Yeah, the animation is incredibly vibrant. It's got this very... It's a picture book style like the ending, but it's in full motion, unlike those stills. And it gets real weird with it, like the wiggly arms devouring the whole court people yeah, multiple yeah, hands that... at a time. It yeah, looks and awesome. Like the... It's just... I'm a little annoyed by it because it has the actual pacing and repetition of a real children's book, which makes it um, some parts like the village part not incredible to watch. Well, I yeah, mean, I was I was gonna say like yeah, we the part where we kind of skipped over is that the especially the uh, the eating sounds gets repeated and yeah, to me that did add to the verisimilitude of it, but I I think it worked. I mean, maybe you could have sure. cut out one one villager make it a little faster but Ch- children no children's books are like that i am just an yeah. adult and i'm annoyed by that uh, mm-hmm. fun fact they did actually release in a very limited run uh this book as a thing you could buy this by the way this is what children's books and tales from this area are like very good yeah. job yeah oh yeah no it, it's definitely it, I actually had to look up when I found out years ago during the run of this manga about that printing of the book. Wait, did they take a real story and put it into this? But no. They just decided, well, you know, we we made this whole book, so why not? Uh, Lottie has been sitting beside Nina on a bench as she read this, and she just waits a second and goes, So... You read Czech, I see. Are you Czechoslovakian? And Nina just goes, I don't know. (laughs) She says she remembers someone reading this to her when she was young, but 
all of a sudden she's unsure of a whole lot of things. And Lottie is unsure of how you take someone going, yeah, I don't, I don't know my whole past. But Nina catches on to something Lottie said uh, when she first arrived, which is, uh, you said that your friend who collapsed was my mirror image. Where is he? And I don't know if Lottie has mentioned he yet, so she's she's picking up on this. Lottie tells her about the book donation ceremony, and Nina does three things. She stands up, she makes sure she's still armed, and she takes off for the library. So, at the ceremony, things are proceeding apace. Speeches are following speeches. Johan is standing offstage politely, and from uh, from the rafters, Tenma is still holding his scope aimed at Johan, but his vision's starting to go a little blurry, and he's having a panic attack. He pulls his hand, and he noticed that it's uh, shaking uh, from trying to pull the trigger and wonders why he can't do it. And, you know, he's trying to coach himself. He said, if I could do it, if I, you know, everything ends, if I could just get this done. And to me, this was extremely effective because we know that he's a surgeon. We know that he's ha- has extremely steady hands and he could handle a lot of pressure while keeping his hands still. So the fact that his hands are shaking in this case is, you know, it really sells it to me anyway. It's a great metaphor. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, I wouldn't even say it's a metaphor. It's quite literal. <laughs> well, no, but like, it's, it's perfect that, yeah, you know, the man yeah, who's yeah. so good at saving life, precise, never undone, even in the heat of the moment, can't do the much simpler action mm-hmm. with those skills. And he pulls pretty hard in that, like, having, you know, shotguns fairly recently, like, you could, like, he pulls that trigger pretty far without it actually going off. So he got he gets so, so close to it mm-hmm. and then just can't follow through. Uh, but suddenly he's having more flashbacks. Uh, the death of Junkers, uh, finding Nina's foster parents and uh, Maurer in the uh, in their house, you know, with their throat slit. All of these tragedies are, you know, flashing before his eyes. And in tears, Tenma makes his decision that he has to kill Johan. He takes the trigger again. And at this moment, Johan turns, going from polite young man to stone cold monster and starts staring Tenma down in his scope. And this is all it takes to get the doctor to recoil right into a pistol that is being held at the back of his head. And we zoom out to see that Roberto is there holding the gun with the smuggest grin on his face, crouching above the prone Tenma. And then he pistol whips Tenma right in the face. Roberto has huge brooder vibes where you're always just waiting to see how he will arrive at the scene. It's so good because (laughs) this moment is so tense. And then the zoom out where he's like, he's clearly just been waiting this whole time. Come on, come on. This is going to be so good. You know, I kind of wish this didn't get spoiled by the um, the next time on. Why do you watch that? That's always spoilers. No, oftentimes it doesn't. It just gets you a sense of what's happening, but doesn't actually like spoil or reveal. This if one you actually this spoiled podcast, your cup. <laughs> uh, it. it this spoils that moment, and then it also spoils the uh, the kicker at the end of what's going to happen to this building, <laughs> which is yeah. Um, I, I was kind of bummed. As someone who's known this series, you can't watch those. They're so bad about that. All right, I, I won't watch them going forward. But I I, I watch them all the time. <laughs> finally, I watch them halfway on every show. through the finally only halfway through the season, Matt will stop spoiling himself. Well, this is the only time it actually bothered me. Yeah, this one is way worse than many, because usually yeah. it's just like, oh, yeah, we see an old couple. It's a road trip. Oh, yeah, we see uh, Gillen meeting with another psychopath. Oh, it's Lunge yeah. in a hallway. This one is real bad. Yeah, like like the one with the, the, the ex-cop, you know, they didn't really spoil that, you know, he was going to die or, you know, that Nina was going to show up. Like there was a lot of a lot of the other like big twist moments don't get spoiled. And this one kind of does. Yeah. Or this one literally does. 
So, from atop a now bleeding Tenma, uh, Roberto takes the rifle, and he's holding this big old thing aloft with ease in one arm. Watch this, Doctor. This is how you fire a gun. He takes aim for the currently being introduced Shuvald and simply says, You just pull the trigger. Like this. But we snap back about 15 seconds. A woman walks behind Johan in the darkness of the stacks, carrying a gasoline can. She's just like, huh, he really did get a lot of big shots in attendance. Must be nice to be him. And she continues walking. We get the reveal that this is a few seconds ago as we cut to Shuvald's introduction again. And this time we see Johan just emerge towards the stage, smiling. Well, I mean, it should be... This is the librarian, right? Like, I'm not... Uh, I like don't that? think so, no. I'd have to double... I thought this was the woman who was bringing... The same woman who worked at the library and brought the flowers the to the librarian. I'll double check. She looks much craggier to me. I'll I'll see. If it turns out it's the same character, I'm just really bad about that model. But I thought the librarian had more of a like... I thought the librarian had a much more kindly face. This woman looks like she is all angles and she would bite your face off. I was mostly noticing the hair. I think the haircut is the same. The hair is very similar. I The face is very different in my memory. For what it's worth, I went back and looked. The hair is different. The face is wildly different. Matt and Chris are face blind. In the rafters, as the music swells, time stands still, and Tenma kicks out from under Roberto, sending the two of them hoppling from the shelf to the ground. Below, the audience applause is covering any sound of the ensuing scuffle. Johan offers Shuvald a hand, walking him to the podium. As the two walk, Shuvald says, So I'm the one you're after, is that right? And all Johan says in response is, Look at this crowd. So many people here to see you. He balls a fist at the microphone and it all clicks. Now I see. How could you even consider this? Above, Roberto recovered from the um, fight first and smashes Tenma's face with the butt of the rifle. He shoves a massive hand over the doctor's mouth saying, Now, now, don't spoil the fun. You can watch me if you're quiet. At the podium, Shuvald says, Everyone, please listen to me. I'm very old and my eyesight is failing. I can't tell many, how many of you are here tonight. You need to remove call, remain calm and begin leaving in a single file this instant. On the balcony, Roberto has knocked out Tenmo and saying, It's a real shame you won't be able to watch me do this. And he walks forward with a gun. On stage behind Shuvald, who is urging everyone to evacuate carefully, uh, Johan has an arm raised and with a finger out and he lowers it. Finger making like that match strike motion. And then the woman in the darkness sees the signal lighting and dropping the match on a trail of gasoline she's laid. The guard sees the initial spark of the lighting from behind the shelf, but does not have any ability to stop the fireball that leaps out from behind the books towards the crowd. Quickly, everything is ablaze in a series of explosions, and the crowd is screaming. Shuvald is staring silently with his blank, blind eyes, and Johan is just immobile and smiling. And on the upper floor, Roberto's just like, what? This wasn't the plan. I was going to shoot the old guy. And he takes a second and starts cracking up. Oh my god, you changed your mind. This is better. They're like ants. Just come over here, Doc. You got to see this. And Roberto turns to see Tenma has pulled himself up alongside a shelf and drawn the pistol on him. So on stage... Johan walks up to the stock-still Shuval. They're climbing all over one another. Can you see it? Can you feel it? The fear in this room. Roberto, on the other hand, does not even bat an eye. Tenma takes aim, but his sight is going blurry again. And the thug just comes a little closer, going, You can't do this, Doc. Your job is saving lives. Mine is taking them. And I'm pretty good at it. The last thing we see is Roberto raise the rifle to Tenma's head, and we cut to the smoke and flames as a gunshot ends the episode. Yeah, the, so, the shot of uh, Tenma on the ground and uh, Roberto standing over him, uh, sort of like in profile, that's a really good shot. Yeah. Uh, that bit is one of the most striking images of the entire manga to me. Mm -hmm. It 
this whole thing concludes with a beautiful two-page spread that will probably be uh, the episode art next time. Not this one. Mm-hmm. But with that, we are halfway through Monster, 37 of 74 episodes down. How are you all feeling? Uh, pretty, pretty good. good. Yeah, this episode again has an uh, a bunch of sequences where like the an- it being an animated series adds so much like Tenma's shakiness with the scope and stuff like that. The mm-hmm. in between frames there, in between panels there, adds so much to it. Uh, also, love to be in buildings before modern fire codes dictated that doors must open outward. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just. This is a very interesting place to stop, too, because there's just so much unresolved and there's going to be a lot. We're going to find out next episode. I'm, I'm curious, you know, remembering back to his like weird trainer, right? Where uh, Tenma will live or die based on can he pull the trigger out a person? Right. Yep. And like, what is Johan? Do? Like, is he going to try to escape this fire? Is he trying to go down with it? I assume he's going to try to escape. But, you know. Then there's still, uh, you know, Nina's also on her way over. Like, there's just a lot of things going on, and it's, it's really exciting shit. Yep. Hell, there might be a child involved in this next episode, remember? Oh, Dieter? <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. More That's like right, Dieter. yeah, because uh, uh, Reichwein and uh, Dieter are running over as well. Lungay as well. And Lungay. Yeah, there's yeah, a... Yeah, we haven't even seen half the cast arrive at this craziness. Yeah, yeah. You You can tell, like, I like the fact that at least all of the threads are, or like all of the different like characters that are off doing their own little bits of this are starting to come together in this. Although I, I know it's only halfway through, so it's not like it's going to end here. It's okay. definitely a game changer. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And uh, we'll go uh, into that. Oh, you first. Oh yeah. I'm just curious to see, like there's got to be a status quo change here for sure. I'm curious what it'll be. Yup. But next time, we'll cover episodes 38 through 40 and ask ourselves the question, how does this get grimmer? See you around. Peace. Looking forward to all the fairy tales. Well, you might be surprised. <laughs>